Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Pure Puar inside China's high-stakes tea harvest. Yunnan's famous tea harvest combines legend, history, and high-stakes speculation. Written by Tina Xu, Xu Yingying, published in the World of Chinese. Read to you by Cliff Larson. Like a proud yet worried father, Chu Bo pats the trunk of a tree and pries an unwelcome green vine off a branch, discarding it onto the forest floor with a grimace. For over a decade, old Chu has tended to 200 semi-wild tea trees on the slopes of Nanuo, mountain in the southern Yunnan province. Uh, These aren't your father's father's trees, the peppered-hair orchard keeper says of his grove, which are said to have been planted two to three centuries ago. These are your grandfather's grandfather's trees. It's April, and fuzzy little buds have begun to form at the tips of the branches as the Puar tea harvest of Nanua Mountains swings into full motion. Farmers rush to pick the early spring buds, which can fetch a higher price if sold before Qingming Festival. The mountain towns spring to life as pickers arrive from neighboring towns to help with the harvest, and collectors as far as Kunming, Taipei, and Seoul swarm the orchards to strike deals with growers. The Camellia sinensis variation Asamika, in Chu's orchard, is the source of ancient tree tea, or gu shu cha, the most highly coveted form of puar. Freshly picked leaves of this tea produce a yellow-green brew. The fermented version, which turns amber in boiled water, is downed by the potful at dim sum restaurants around the world, or delicately sipped in precious wares at Chinese connoisseurs' tables. Those who savor fermented puar call it earthy or mushroomy. Less appreciative drinkers have likened the taste to moldy garbage. Taiwanese tea expert Deng Shihai, who penned the Puar Bible, Puar Tea in 1941, made the opaque declaration that the highest achievable realm of Puar flavor is a tasteless taste. According to Chu, the elusive quality that confounds connoisseurs' description is Pu'er's gift. Drinking Gu Shi Pu'er is like listening to music. Nobody wants to listen to a single boring melody. We want to listen to complex music. The taste of this tea is abundant, a symphony. Pu'er tea is in fact chemically different from green or black tea. It belongs to a rare category of dark or fermented teas. The tea has been called a drinkable antique 
since the labor of enzymes through the years and decades or even centuries of storage gives the tea an ever-evolving taste, supposedly elevating with age, as does the price. Like wine or single malt whiskey, Puar tea is nearly always identified by the mountain from which its leaves are sourced, the factory in which it's processed, and the year of production. Over the last few decades, Puar has gained a cult-like following, with some of the costliest tea leaves exceeding their weight in gold. At the Guangzhou International Trade Fair in 2002, a 100-gram portion of Puar was auctioned off for 168,000 renminbi, dethroning Tieguanying green tea as the most expensive tea in the world. In Beijing, a 3-gram portion reached 32 times the price of gold in a 2004 auction. During the market's hottest years, leading up to the Puar tea bubble of 2007, wholesale tea markets kept desktop monitors listing the fluctuating cost per kilogram of Puar, as if trading stocks or futures. Prices could rise or fall by 500 renminbi in a day. Even today, Chu divulges that one kilogram of his leaves, once dried and packaged, retails for over a thousand renminbi. As Chu prunes the orchard of harmful growths and leaves the symbolic ones, he explains that the taste of the brew will vary based on minute details of the tree's environment, from its soil and water source to its unique ecology of parasites. Thus, each mountain is known for its local flavor profile, from Iwu's famed mellow lingering aftertaste to Mengku's bold sweet-to-bitter range, and each year's leaves have a slightly different tang. The truth emerges in the cup, winks Chu, hinting at the large number of fakes on the market that attempts to emulate his prized ancient tree leaves. The oldest puar in Nanua are said to be 1,200 years old. Natural historians and scientists agree that this mountainous area on the border of southwestern China and Myanmar was the birthplace of the tea tree, a species that flourished naturally in the tropical highlands long before humans thought to boil and drink its leaves. The first instance of tea drinking was recorded in the classic of poetry written between the 11th and 7th century BCE. The Ba people of neighboring Sichuan province were said to offer a prototype of Puar tea to kings of the Zhou dynasty, 1046 to 256 BCE, proving the plant to be one of the oldest pillars of the regional economy. The tea was brought down from the mountains to trading town of Puar and was distributed on routes that stretched north to Beijing, west to Tibet, and south to Bangkok and Haiphong. During the Tang Dynasty, 618 to 907 CE, the ancient tea horse road connected Yunnan, Sichuan, and Tibet in the tea trade. The leaves were valued for helping Tibetans digest their meat-based meals. Legend has it that fermented puar emerged from these long journeys. Traders carried compressed cakes of puar on their backs, piled high over their head. The sunlight and the rainfall naturally fermented the leaves along the way. The journey, treacherous and steep as it ascended from the Xishuangbana lowlands to the Himalayas, had its own set of lore. The heroine Ashirmei, who is said to have commanded a caravan of a hundred drivers and three hundred horses, 
walking 750,000 kilometers over her lifetime, once tragically declared, For women, this road is a path of love hanging over their lives. For men, this road is a path of life and death hanging onto the cliffs. In the 18th century, local families began to establish commercial brands. A former Hunanese soldier, surnamed Liu, whose garrison was sent to put down a rebellion and then settled in Xinhuangbana, founded the family tea business Tongqing Hao. The operation soon became the most renowned in Yunnan, directly supplying restaurants, merchants, and collectors in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Local officials selecting Tongqing Hall to produce imperial tribute for the Qing emperors. Beginning in 1732, caravans of mules and horses set off from Puar City and arrived months later in Beijing carrying five kilogram spheres of dried tea leaves. Longjing tea in the summer, Puar in the winter, was a popular saying, as the partially fermented tea helped the northerners digest their greasy winter diets until the tributary expeditions ended in 1904. In the last century, the twists and turns of the Puar industry traced the dramatic rebirth of modern China. In 1938, Yunnan's first tea factory opened its doors, processing leaves with imported machines from British India and Burma. However, the operation didn't last long. Wars ground tea production to a halt, and Tongqing Hall closed its doors in 1948 as sales plummeted. Tea growers and merchants entered what they called the Hunger Years. During the Mao era, small tea businesses were consolidated and nationalized, and a new wet-piling technique sped up fermentation of Puar to within three months. However, there was literally no market for tea. From the 1950s to the 1980s, a kilogram of tea sold for less than five renminbi. As the economy gradually reopened in the 80s, a group of Taiwanese collectors visited Iwu Mountain to find that tea production had faded into memory. Convincing local leaders of the lucrative potential of tea growing, the collectors called upon elderly villagers to share what they remembered of tea cultivation with young entrepreneurs. Everyone was relieved to find the ancient tea trees undisturbed by the vicissitudes of human politics, still growing steadily in their groves. Since the 1990s, Puar has been central to the Yunnan provincial government's new development strategy, which focuses on powerful green economics, rich ethnic culture, and tour culture. As Kunming tea expert Xu Yahua once conjectured to author Zhang Jinghong, Puar is not only a certain production technique or biological categorization, but a historical geographical substance. Steeped in the cup along with the plant is the symbolism, the authenticity of leaves that come from the birthplace of tea, the adventure of the ancient tea horse road, the prestige of imperial tribute. To promote the product, the Yunnan government decided to reenact the imperial caravans in 2005, sending 120 mules and horses with 68 drivers on a 4,000-kilometer walking journey. The seven 357-gram cakes they carried were auctioned off in Beijing, one cake bought by the actor Zhang Guoli for 1.2 million renminbi shook the tea-drinking world and cemented Puar as a collector's item. Today, the cost of Puar has stabilized considerably, 
and the cakes are increasingly snatched up by domestic connoisseurs, leaving little for export to foreign markets. The leaf is a new favorite investment of China's rising middle class, while buyers of the past century were overwhelmingly from Hong Kong and Taiwan, mainland collectors have rushed into the market, with the largest numbers hailing from Kunming, Guangdong, and Beijing. No longer the stuff of emperors and presidents, Puar tea has entered ordinary households, lending them an air of culture, as well as serving as a practical investment. Mr. Zhang, a taxi driver in Xishuangbana, bought 50,000 renminbi's worth of puar tea from the Yunnan-renowned Iwu Mountain when he got married four years ago. He proudly notes that his investment has already tripled in price. When my kid was born, I bought another batch, Zhang says. They all have the year on them. When the in-laws come over, or during a special occasion, we drink some. It's a good memory. Old Huang, a collector from Guangdong province, hovers around Chu's orchard. You should pick them earlier, he said sternly. I can sell for a higher price. Chu pretends not to hear him. When Huang disappears from view, Chu explains that some growers will turn the soil or cut the branches so that the tree will sprout quicker. Chu's trees have been growing semi-wild in the forest for hundreds of years, so he is loath to interfere with their natural wisdom. My trees simply drink the morning dew and absorb the glow of sunset. Nothing more. Huang and Chu represent two poles of poor philosophy. One wants the harvest controlled and leaves fermented in a humidity-controlled storage space. The other allows the harvest to happen when it happens and drinks the leaves with minimal processing. Huang is the commercialite. Chu is the pastoralist. Both are united in reverence of a well-brewed cup of puar, even if they disagree on what that means or how to get there. High up in the trees, 25-year-old Yu Nanhe, her mother and her aunt, pick the young tea leaves, having driven from their hamlet to the foot of Chu's field to help with the harvest. Recruiting through friends of friends for a few days of informal labor, Chu admits that a hundred renminbi a day isn't much, but can help out with their kids' school fees, rice, salt, shoes, and socks. As the afternoon rains begin to pour, the pickers crowd under the cover of an exposed wooden shed, where the leaves are laid out to dry. We used to have our own gushu trees, says Yu, who is of the Dai ethnicity, with a sad smile, but in the 90s we were advised to cut them down and replace them with tea terraces. We were told it was scientific and easier to pick and easier to manage. Now we pick 40 to 50 kilograms a day, and we still don't make much money. We didn't understand tea culture back then, you laments. A lesson learned against the rash development of the 90s and the fickleness of connoisseurs' tastes. As dusk settles in, Chu calls his friend Wang Jun of the Aini ethnicity to tell her that the leaves are ready to roast. The dye pickers wrap the day's pick in plastic tarp and pack it into Chu's truck. As soon as Wang spots Chu's car in the yard, her husband begins shoveling coal into the furnace beneath the four-meter-long walks, firing it to 200 degrees Celsius. 
in a process called killing the green, which halts enzyme activity to allow the tea to ferment gradually, Wang tosses the leaves on a bamboo platter, giving it a rhythmic shake, then deposits them into a sizzling wok. Four kilograms of wet leaves shrivel into one kilogram of dry matter. Take them out after 30 minutes, orders Chu. When Wang's husband protests, saying that it's standard to roast the leaves for longer, Chu compares it to strangling your leaves in a thick jacket. The craze for Pu'er tea has left its mark on the tea villages of Yunnan, whose fortunes have been irrevocably tied to the price of tea. From the 1950s to the 1970s, a family surnamed Guan lived in a thatched shed on the mountain. They now live in a new brick house that they built for 250,000 renminbi, with a car in the courtyard worth 130,000 renminbi. Wang's house has also been newly remodeled into a spacious two-story home with tiled floors. And after the day's work is done, Chu prepares fresh-picked puar to share with Wang's family. As the leaves steep, unfurling and blooming in the pot, Chu shares his worries about puar tea's future. Uh, young people don't like to drink tea anymore, sighs Chu, whose generation saw tea drinking as a reclamation of traditional Chinese culture after half a century of erasure from wars and politics. Most growers, collectors, and most connoisseurs and writers of Pu'er, he admits, are around his age. In recent years, the city of Pu'er has ironically become the rising coffee capital of China. Province-wide farmers have embraced the trendy new crop, growing 100,000 tons of coffee each year for corporations like Nestle and Starbucks. Chu pours the yellow-green tea into small glass cups and imbibes the pungent and complex brew which has ruled the region's economy for millennia, and vaulted a new generation of tea merchants to fame. But with international investment on one end, and the waning interest in traditional tea culture on the other, Chu wonders how long the reign of Pu'er can last. Maybe we need to add some lemon flavor, or brown sugar, or some pretty packaging. Young people want excitement, and... Innovation, muses Chu, leaning back in his chair and closing his eyes in momentary intoxication. A cool breeze wafts in from the open door, sending a frisson down the drinker's spine. But for us, when we drink tea, it's the very beauty and abundance of life. Narrator's note, please go to the article. There are great pictures of roasting tea leaves and great pictures of the cakes of Pu'er in a tea shop. You've been listening to Pure Pu'er, Inside China's High Stakes Tea Harvest. Yunnan's famous tea harvest combines legend, history, and high stakes speculation. Written by Tina Xu, Xu Yingying, 
published in the world of Chinese, narrated by Cliff Larson.